Hey, y'all. How you doing? You know, it's kind of funny. Everybody on the front row at 930, but word must have got out because nobody's sitting on the front row now. So, anyway, I hope you guys had a good weekend. I'm Arthur. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I did not buy this because it's orange. Go Tigers. It was on sale, so I bought this one because it was on sale. So, uh, anyway, if you haven't been here in a week or two, just to remind you, we're finishing up a series today on worship. Worship changes everything because when you see who you are in light of who God is and you begin to worship Him in light of His mercy that He's displayed in our lives, uh, it changes us. And we begin to realize that it's all about God and it's not all about us. Uh, It changes our perspective on life. It changes our relationships. It changes every single thing about us. And every time that you walk into a situation where you are aware of who God is and you experience him, you walk out of that situation, a changed person happens every single time. Uh, Just a little kind of background just to catch you up in case you haven't been here uh, in a week or two uh, is that uh, our definition of worship is that worship is setting our heart's affection and our mind's attention on God. And that's where we started the very first week talking about that everybody worships. Uh, And then the next week we talked about how uh, how, how deeply uh, worship changes us and God's mercy has such an impact on us. And then we looked at that some more last week about uh, how when we remember God's mercy in our lives that it causes us to, to worship. Uh, our definition of worship that we've been using is worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done uh, and demonstrated by our actions and our words. And we're really going to talk a lot today about our actions and our words in regards to worship. And, you know, Worship sometimes can be a, kind of a confusing thing uh, because we think that worship is something that just happens at church. But we said, no, worship is something that happens all the time. Worship happens in our lives individually when it's just us and God, and it happens when we're all gathered together in some kind of corporate setting like this. And, you know, um, the third commandment is that do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we, and, and we know that, right? You got taught that when you were little. If you grew up in the South, your mother told you that over and over again. Uh, but, you know, and so, and we tend to think that when it says do not, um, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that it means you should never go, oh, God. And that's right, you shouldn't. You have begun a prayer, you should finish it. Okay? So if somebody cuts you off in traffic, oh, God. Save him because I'm getting ready to go kill him. Right? But finish the prayer. And so we say, well, you shouldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But the word take in Hebrew is the word nasah, and it means to lift up. So do not lift up the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't, Don't lift it up for nothing. And so we want to be very intentional and that when we call out to God, that we're calling out to him and we remember who he is. And so we don't ever want to be people who are engaged in worship on Sunday mornings or uh, whenever we might be gathering for other people for worship or when we're worshiping individually with God. We never want to be guilty of lifting up God's name for nothing, right? We don't want to do that. Now, here's the thing is that most of the time, uh, a lot of people come in, into worship, into a corporate setting like this, and, and they're not thinking uh, oh, I need to be real sure of where I am targeting, where I'm, wh- wh- where my worship is going. You know, we come in, and you know, and people are here, and they're just, you know, they're, you know, they're they're singing, and we're like, what's up with that? And you know, and 
So there's all kinds of things going on, and, and, you know, and we have no idea. Where, I mean, we're, most of us, we don't think about targeting our worship toward God. We think, oh, it's time to sing. They just said to stand up. We should do that. And so we, we have no semblance or understanding of the fact that when we come in and worship, we ought to be very particular about where we're aiming. Our worship is best when we aim our affection toward God. And sometimes it's just like what everybody else is doing. This is something I'm supposed to do for just a moment. And, but that's not the way it works. It's, we've got to be, and it takes a moment to focus and say, okay, that's where I'm going with my worship. That's important. We, we talked the very first week about this series that you can figure out who it is you're worshiping by looking at a few things in your life. And you can look at these few things in your life. And when you look at those, you begin to realize, oh, this is what God has for me. And this is, uh, this is where I am. And you find out who it is that you're worshiping. And a lot of times we find out that what we're worshiping is ourselves. Remember we, the first week of the series, we said there were six things that you could walk through. We said, look at your time, look at your activities, your devotion, your loyalty, your, your honor. Who, who are you honoring? Your stuff. We said, look, look at these six things, and that will tell you who is your worshiping. And most of the time, if you will walk down through those six things, you will find that who you're worshiping is not God, but you will find out that you're worshiping yourself. Most of the time, that's what happens. Now, here's the thing is, is that our, our, you know, most of us, we get hung up on style of worship, right? They didn't sing long enough. They sang way too long. I don't like that song. Ooh, I love that song. It makes me feel Jesus. I love it. Play it again. I wish we'd sing that song more. Right? Or, you know, it's too hot in here. It's too cold in here. Right? It's, it's, it's too loud. It's, why don't they turn it up? I wish they would turn her off. Does not, am I the only one that hears that she cannot hit that note, right? Well, I, I prefer worship at 9. I prefer worship at 11. I like a choir. I like an organ, right? And, and, and you know, or I love, I love music by Hillsong. Or I love music by Passion. Or, you know what, I, I, love, I love music from Bethel. Or, you know, or why do we sing those kind of songs? Why can't we sing uh, the best of the 80s and 90s? You know, I mean, whatever. But see, but, but look, here's the deal. When, when you're sitting there and you're evaluating and you're saying, that I like this and this and this, but I don't like that. Who has worship become about? It's become about you, isn't it? It's as though we have forgotten that we have a great God and instead we go, I have this mediocre God and so I'm going to tell him what to do and how I want to do it and when I want to do it and where I want to do it. And, and we've forgotten who he is and how he has called us out of the darkness into the light and how he's changed us. And so we just kind of do whatever feels good. Hey, I like this. This is good for me. You know, but, you know, how's our worship? You know, it's God say, hey, this is really good for me. So, so be sure we're, we're not just doing things because, hey, I'm getting my needs met. Look, if, if we were half as concerned about giving glory to God as we are about having our needs met when we come to worship. Our worship would be better 
and more of our needs would be met because we would realize who we are inside of who God is. Right? See, there's basically three levels of worship. I, I, I say there's, uh, you're, you're all there, you're not quite there, or you're not there. You're, you're all there. If you're a believer, probably at some point in your life, I hope many times in your life, you've had these times of worship with, with God where it was so strong and so powerful that you couldn't even see anything else or anybody else, that you were just completely focused on God. And maybe there were 10,000 people in the room, but you feel like it was just you and God. Or, or maybe it was a time when it was literally just you and God. Because worship doesn't just happen in a corporate setting. It happens in individual settings as well. But, but what, what if? What if? We, we could worship like that. I mean, that, that's, that's great. The, the all there level of worship. And, you know, the thing is, it, it's hard to live there all the time because we got, I mean, we have other things that, that we have to do and we're, we're just, you know, the world's been spinning like this and God just stops it and says, hey, it's just me and you. It, it, it's hard to function like that all the time. So I think it's okay to be not quite there, that second level of worship. You know, I think that's for most of us. That, that's where we, day to day, that's where we need to live. You have these moments where it's all there, but, but day to day, it's I'm, I'm living, I'm working, I'm breathing, uh, I'm, I'm doing life and I'm aware who God is, I love him, and I'm doing things as unto him and to his glory, and I'm worshiping him while I do things, but it doesn't feel like the most intimate moment of worship ever because God didn't, I don't believe, create us to live that way. And that third level of worship is not there. And, and maybe you're frustrated with God or angry or disappointed or you feel like he's forgotten you or abandoned you or you want him to do something for you and he didn't do it. Well, you know, newsflash, he's not your butler, and so he doesn't have to do everything that you tell him to do. He, he's God. And if you're in that not there kind of place, I, I hope to encourage you to get to the not quite there uh, because being in the not there where you don't want to have anything to do with God is a miserable place to be. And uh, I hope that, that we all sort of get to that not quite there. We occasionally have these times uh, where God wills it, where we have, where we're all there and we're completely you know, completely dialed in with him for those moments of worship. And so that's sort of what we've been talking about uh, for the last couple of weeks. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about outward posture of worship because there's always lots of questions about that. Hey, is it all right if I... So we're going to talk about that for just a minute, outward posture of worship, and then we're going to talk about inward posture of worship. And by the way, just so you know, inward posture of worship is much more important than outward posture of worship. Your inward posture of worship is reflected in your outward posture of worship, but I'll explain all that in just a minute. So uh, if you've got a Bible, I'm in Psalm 95. Uh, if not, you can follow along on the screens, uh, or uh, you can use version and follow along on that as well. So I'm in Psalm 95, uh, beginning in verse 1. And, and notice the, the types of physical expression of worship that we're going to find uh, in Psalm 95, it says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Um, and then it says, Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. So there are a few people in here, you sing to the Lord. And we're very grateful to you. Most of us are joyful noisers. Uh, and, you know, and, and we're really good at being loud and maybe not on key, but we make a joyful noise to the Lord. Some of us were making joyful noises this morning uh, while we were singing in the shower. 
uh, and your wife left the bathroom and says, I wish you would stop that. Um, but it says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. So we, we don't take God for granted. So he said, part of worship is, is thanksgiving, is stopping and pausing and saying, God, I'm grateful for these things that you have done. He says, let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So not just random joyful noises, but these but ways to, noises that praise him and bring glory to him. It says, for the Lord, it's a great God. He is not a mediocre God, not a tiny little God, not a God that you can control, but he is a great God. He, and, and listen, it, when people have are worshiping, it's because they have seen a great God. And he says, uh, he's a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. Anybody have a really good week at work this week? Anybody? Things went really well at work? Awesome. Anybody make a sea this week? God, me neither. Uh, so, you know, God does that. He spoke the universe into existence. Uh, the, the, the sea is his because he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. The Hebrew word for worship is shaha, and, so, uh, and it means to bow down inwardly, that you say, I am not as great as you are. I am less, you are greater. And so he's talking about a bowing down of the heart. And so he says, so we, we submit our hearts to God, worship, but we also, we bow down physically. He says, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So let me ask you this question. When, when, when you worship, I mean, do you ever kneel? Do you ever get on your knees before God? Most of the time we don't do that because it feels awkward. Most of the time, even when we're in private, we tend not to do that. We tend to just say, no, God, I'm good right here sitting in this chair. But, you know, sometimes when you're worshiping, sometimes when you're praying, sometimes when you're reading Scripture, because all those things are, are, uh, are part of worship, but when you're, you're doing that, you know, you should kneel before God. You should get down on your knees before Him because you are physically demonstrating what is going on in your heart. It's, it's a big deal. And listen, if, if, you, if you never, ever kneel in prayer, would you start doing that sometimes? It, it will change the way you pray. There's a reason that the Bible tells us that we should get on our knees when we pray. And, so it, and you know, you don't do that every single time because it's hard to be on your knees while you're praying, while you're driving. I get that, right? It, it, it's hard to be, you know, when you're walking through Target or W.A. Lamarck. I know that it's hard to, to, to get down your knees in the middle of the store while you're praying. But... You know, but there are times that you ought to kneel before God. It's, it, it's important. It will change the way you pray. It says, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And I love this part, last part of verse 7 and verse 8. It says, today, if you hear his voice. So, so, so today, if God whispers to you, he says, hey, 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 I need to talk to you for a minute. Don't go, I'm busy. Don't, don't do that. No, today, if you hear his voice, and if you're a believer, you recognize his voice. You don't have to sit there and go, what does God sound like? No, listen, if you're a believer, you recognize the voice of God. You know it. It says, if you hear him today, do not harden your heart. Don't say, God, I don't want to do that today. But would you open up your heart to him? Would you have a soft heart toward God today? 
Because he says, look, don't harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and on the day of Massa in the wilderness. And he's talking about when, when Moses and the children of Israel were out in the wilderness. And they said, hey, look, God, we're kind of frustrated with you. And we don't like what you're doing. And we'd like some water. And so, you know, long, long story short, it's not this simple. But basically, you know, Moses goes over, takes his staff and knocks on a rock. And water comes out of the rock. And, you know, and he says, and these words Meribah and, and Massah mean, mean strife and testing. He said, look, don't, don't do that to me. He says, look, you're making things more difficult. If you hear my voice today, don't harden your heart, but soften your heart. Because if God has something to say to you, open up your heart and see what he has for you. Because it will be much better than what you have in mind. And so lots of outward posture in, in that psalm. But, you know, the, the Bible is full of examples of outward posture in worship. Uh, you know, when, when you speak, you know, the psalm said, uh, I will extol the Lord all times. His praise shall be in my mouth. When you bow down, when you lay prostrate uh, before God, when you be still and be quiet and don't say a word, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. That's worship. Uh, when, when you shout, when you clap your hands, uh, when, when you spread out your hands, sometimes the Bible says to spread out your hands in worship. It talks about a wave offering. So sometimes you people, people doing this in worship, you're like, what are they doing? Is he cleaning off the windshield wipers? No. He's, you know, maybe he's doing a, like a, a wave offering before the Lord. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, that you should lift your hands. And you say, well, how should we lift our hands? Should we do like, you know, low, medium, high? Should we do like this? Should we do like this? You know, what it, it says, no, it's a sign of surrender is what it is. I'm not in charge, uh, but God, I'm surrendering to you. It's making yourself physically vulnerable before God. Uh, it says, it talks about raising a banner before the Lord, uh, dancing before the Lord. And you say, well, we don't do that around here, Arthur. Yes, you do. <laughs> I saw you. Now, some of you, that's all you got. Some of you, we've seen you dance, and we're glad that's all you got. <laughs> right? But, but, no, but, that's, so, no, but there are times where, I mean, this, this physical manifestation of what God is doing in your heart, it, I mean, it just screams to get out of us a little bit. But we all of a sudden go, we can't do that. We're at church. Uh, we we, we got to be careful because, you know, also said stand before the Lord. That's why we say, hey, let's stand and worship because we're showing honor to God by standing. Because, you know, there are many other opportunities in our country where someone significant is going to come into a room. And they say, would you stand in their honor? You're at a, uh, you're at a wedding and you stand in, order, in honor of the bride who's coming in. Uh, you're in a courtroom. The judge comes in and you stand up in honor. Uh, if there's a, uh, a politician or someone uh, that comes into a certain room and he's a, a person of prestige and honor, people stand when... Uh, that person comes into the room. So standing is a way to, uh, to even to honor the Lord. And, and you know, and our, our true physical expressions uh, of worship should never distract from God's glory. And I don't think that they do as long as they're true. But really what they do is they display God's glory in our lives. And so, you know, it, but it's important not to just sit here and go, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here. We don't just come sit and listen, come sit and listen, come sit and listen. But we have an opportunity to, to worship and to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Because there is a, a relationship between what is in our heart and what we physically demonstrate in worship. What is inside of us is going to come out of us. Uh, that's sort of the way it works. Outside posture in worship is vital to worship and it complements our heart. An outside posture is a biblical thing. It's a very normal part of life. 
right? I mean, you know, here, here's the deal. I mean, it's easy. It's football season, you know. I love football, so I know I talk about it too much. But, you, I mean, you watch football, and so things are not going well, and you see a physical uh, demonstration of what's going on, and people are doing the surrender cobra. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do, right? you got people who are, uh, things are going really well, and they're, you know, they're, they're celebrating, and they're jumping up and down, and they're dancing, and they're going, this is amazing. They're turning around high-fiving people they don't even know. Uh, you know, some people are tomahawk chopping, some people are not. Uh, so, but, but all those things are, are very normal in, in, in life, and we see it all the time. You know, if something goes really well at work or with your children or, or with you, in your marriage, you go, man, this, this is great. Uh, you know, we demonstrate our heart with our bodies, but for some reason we come to church and we say, we have this great God and he's amazing and he does everything and, he, and he's keeping the world spinning. He's holding our lives together, so I'm going to worship him. Is he going to sing another one? Mm. And, and nowhere else in life, when something good happens, do we go, hmm. But for some reason at church, we feel like we've got to come here and we've got to repress that, repress what God is doing in our lives and instead of demonstrating what God has done in our hearts. And, you know, you sit there and act like you got baloney in your shoes uh, because you're sitting here like this. The, the way that we stand in worship, you know, it communicates what you think about God. And so I, I, I'll just say this because I, I, I need to move on. But inside posture is very important to God. Outside posture is very important to God. Inside posture is critical because that's why God is more concerned with the heart than the appearance. But if you're someone who claps or puts your hands up or, you know, you do spirit fingers, whatever you do. And you're doing things as unto the Lord. I think that's awesome. And, if, and so if you see somebody and they're worshiping and you're like, hey, man, you're, you're kind of getting in my space. You know, how about you move on? If you look, you know, don't, if somebody's worshiping a little differently than you do, don't. It's almost a true expression of worship. You don't go over there and go, ah, I wish you'd stop that. You're bothering me. Right? And so shouldn't it that way, if you're a, not very much of a physical expression of worship kind of person, you know, don't tell the people who love doing a physical expression of worship they should stop. But on the other hand, if you're very much in a physical expression of worship, you, you know, you, you can't, for instance, start going around and going, hey, you got your hands up, put your, put your, walk around the room and go, okay, we all got our hands up now, let's go. So it's, don't impose something on somebody else. Allow God to speak through to them and through them and just have the freedom to worship God as, as he leads each one of us to do. So let's talk about inward posture for just a minute. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Um, begin in verse verse fifteen. Um, you know, again, this is so so huge because God is looking at our hearts. It says through Him, who's Him, Jesus. So you could read it like this: Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. He says, "Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have." For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So real quick, four things. Four things here. Number one, worship happens through Jesus. Worship happens through Jesus. 
See, before Jesus came, what happened is that if you wanted to worship God, you had to go to the temple or you had to go uh, to the tent uh, and you had to take a sacrifice with you. And depending on what you wanted to do uh, and what was happening in your life, it dictated what kind of sacrifices that, that you would take. Uh, you know, there was a once a year, the children of Israel, all of them would do a, a sacrifice of a bull. That was the Day of Atonement. Uh, you could sacrifice a goat, sacrifice a sheep, sacrifice pigeons. Uh, you could even sacrifice grain, uh, just depending on what was going on. But that sacrifice determined, once you had that sacrifice, your relationship with God was reestablished. And so anytime that you had sin in your life, if you wanted to reestablish that relationship with God, you had to go and make another sacrifice. So if you haven't read the book of Hebrews, you ought to read it. It's really good stuff. Uh, and so in Hebrews chapter 10, and we don't have time to talk about this in depth today, but what happens, I believe it's in verse 26 or 28 uh, of Hebrews chapter 10, is that uh, God says that, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. So there is one sacrifice for all time, um, one time for all time. And it, his sacrifice on the cross was all that was needed for every single one of us. And this is really huge because here's what we think. We think, oh, I sinned. God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't want a relationship with me anymore. And so in effect, we say, well, we have to have another sacrifice. Um, and that's legalism. That's kind of, we start kind of thinking that way. But the Bible says, no, here's what happened is that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus sat down. What does that mean? It means he's done. It means he doesn't have to be sacrificed again tomorrow. He doesn't have to be crucified again. It's finished, done. He sat down. He doesn't have to, because it talks about that the priest would get up every day and that he would make sacrifices. Look, we don't have to do that anymore. And so, because we have this one time for all time sacrifice that Jesus made, then all of this is possible for us to have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And so it happens, worship happens through Jesus. We would not be able to worship God if it had not been for what Jesus did. Right? The second thing it says is that worship happens continually. So what am I talking about? Worship happens continually, meaning all day long, every day, we can worship God. It doesn't, it's not just, okay, I'm here, I can do this, and so I'm done. But with our words, our actions, our thoughts, that's what we can do. Psalm 19, 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And so as you're, you can continually... You're working on that project. You're sending the email. You're teaching chemistry, third period tomorrow. You're at cross-country practice tomorrow afternoon. Whatever you got going on, you can still meditate on the Lord. You can still be worshiping him, thinking about him, and you can do that continually. He can always be at the forefront of what you're doing and what you're thinking. Um, the next thing, worship involves sacrifice. Well, Arthur, I thought you just said that all the sacrifice was, was done. It, it was done. But listen, what I'm talking about is the things that we think are really important, time, money, prestige, position, grades, relationship, all those things. You have to say, 
they are no longer first place in my life. I'm going to sacrifice those things and walk away from those things so that I make sure I have things in the proper order and that I'm worshiping God first. My relationship with him is priority. That's what I'm talking about. So all worship involves sacrifice uh, in one way or another because you've got to say, you know what, I am worshiping the Lord and he is most important to me. Number four, worship has two components. The first one, it says in verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. It says, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So when you serve somebody, when you do something for someone, um, when, when you do something that, that, that is good and godly, when, when you do those things, it says what? It says, it says those kind of things, because those kind of sacrifices, it says, are pleasing to God. And, and you want to know, well, look, I, I want to know something that, that pleases God. Serve other people. Do godly things. It, yeah, it, it, it pleases God. It doesn't make him love you anymore. And he doesn't love you any less when you don't do those things. But so look, those things are important. So there, there, there's two components to worship that the writer of Hebrews says. One is to uh, do good, share what you have. And the second thing, it says, it says fruit of lips. So the things that we say, the things that we say are acknowledging his name, acknowledging his power and his compassion and his kindness in our lives. And so the things that we say are very important, the fruit of our lips, because the things that we say are a product of what is inside of our hearts. So let me tell you what I'm, show you what I'm talking about. So I, I need you to help me just a minute. So I know that ordinarily um, that we come to church and that everybody just says, okay, I'm going to be very, very quiet. I'm not going to say anything. So but I need a little audience participation here for just a minute. And so I specifically need it from the ladies today. So in so just a minute, I want to ask you, to help me out a little bit. And so you just, I just need you to shout these things out uh, in just a minute. So some of you are already getting nervous and your, your hands are beginning to sweat. It's okay. Okay let's, okay, let's just do this. Breathe in. Breathe out. Okay, we're good? We're good? All right, don't, don't be nervous. All right, so ladies, I want you to imagine that you are going out on a date. And this, you know, like when you were in high school or college or uh, or, you know, you're going out with somebody, and there's this guy that you've been going out with, and you're beginning to think, hmm, he could be the one. And, uh, you know, you're kind of thinking, I could fall in love with him. And so you, you think about it, that, that you're having dinner with this guy, and he seems to be all that you've ever dreamed of, and um, that conversation that you're going to have with him at dinner at some point, and he's going to say some things to you. So the question is, what true things would you most like for a man to say to you in that kind of situation? What true things would you most like for a man to say to you in that situation? All right, so what would would he say? Say it again, say it loud. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Awesome. Okay, what's another one? I love spending time with you. I love spending time with you. All right? You're what I've been looking for. Uh, been look, 
looking for. What was that? I'm appreciative of you. Is that right? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, are you? I'm a Christian. Are you? All right, what else? I thought I keep saying something over here because y'all keep laughing. What was it? What was it? Can I have your, you can have my credit card? Is that what it was? Is that right? Is that a good one? Okay, I'll write that down. You can have my credit card. Ooh, not a good one. I've been praying for you. Okay, fellas. Now, ladies, I'm not done. Okay, just t- time out. F- fellas, look, I'm, I'm looking around the room. Why am I on the only guy in the room writing this down? Look, I, I know we still don't really know each other yet, but look, guys, you need to understand, I am on your side. I am always looking for something to help you out with, okay? You're looking for, hey, man, I need something to say to my wife because she's kind of mad at me right now. Listen, I've been married almost 30 years. You should write this down. <laughs> you got a room full of women there saying, this is what I would most like for a man to say to me. <clears throat> <clears throat> Hello? Wise up. All right. So, ladies, what else? Like the whispers, say it loud. Can you cook? <laughs> Should I add and do dishes? And do. Oh, and all the people said amen. Shoo! Man, I hate hate unloading the dishwasher. I'm not allowed to load it because I always mess it up, but <laughs> anyway, it's my story. I'm sticking to it. All right. So what else? Say it again. Can you fix it? Oh, are you hand, are you a handyman? I'm your handyman. How about that? That was a really bad song. If you remember that song, you're old. All right, uh, give me two more. Do you change diapers? Uh, okay, I'm going to say I, he wants, uh, I change diapers because that's things you want him to say. I change diapers. All right, uh, give me two more. You make me laugh. All right, anything else? Uh uh, what are your dreams and goals? Can I say, I want to know you deeply? Can I say that? Is that way of saying that? All right. So here's the deal. Ladies, so you're having dinner, your favorite restaurant, and, um, you know, and that might be McDonald's, or that may be somewhere else. But anyway, you're having your favorite dinner, uh, and you're having a great conversation, great time and you're beginning to really be smitten with this guy, and, you know, they've taken the dishes away, and you're just having some after-dinner conversation. He just looks across the table at you very lovingly and deeply into your eyes, and he says, you're beautiful. I love spending time with you. Um, You're exactly what I've been looking for. I'm I'm a Christian, are you? Um, You can have my credit card. 
I've been praying for you. Um, I not only cook, but I'm willing to do the dishes. Uh, uh, I'll be your handyman. I'll change the diapers. You make me laugh. I want to know you deeply. So those are things that you said that you would most like to hear a man say to you. So if he says those things to you and you feel loved in this connection with him and then you find out the next night he goes out with a different woman and says the same things to her. How would you love that? Not. No, I mean, I mean, I mean you'd be hurt, disappointed, betrayed, abandoned, lied to. And you're like, I want nothing to do with, with that guy. Let me ask you something. How, how do you think God feels when we say all these really incredible things to him and then the next day we say it to somebody else? He said, God, I love you. I give you my life. I want to follow you. And then we go, ah, I'm a, ah, that was yesterday. I'm going to do something else today. Now, the really incredible thing to me is that even though I do that and you do that, is that God still loves us no matter what. And we can still walk back in that relationship with him. And so I would encourage you, the things that you say and do and the things that you communicate to God about how worth, how much worth he has in your life, that you would do that not just today, but the rest of the day and tomorrow and next week, and we would live our lives that way. Look, it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, and, you know, I... I love this passage of Scripture and because, you know, it turns out that worship, yeah, it involves our actions and our devotion, but mostly loyal, our worship is about loyalty. And God, I'm worshiping you. I'm putting no other gods before you. But 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God looks at you and goes, you're mine. He fights for you. He defends you. He protects you, wraps his arms around you, does, lifts you up, loves you. When, when you are unlovable, he says, I got you. He says, you are mine. He says, so you're a chosen race. You're, you're not just ordinary priests. You're royalty. You're a holy nation. You're separated. I got you so much. And then he goes on and he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he says, look, here's what's going on. The writer of Hebrews says, excuse me, First Peter says, you don't have to worship him, but you may. He's not going to hate you if you don't. But when you realize what he's done for you, even just a simple part, if he called you out of the darkness into the light, you, you can worship him. You don't have to, but you may. 
You don't have to serve other people, but you may. You don't have to give, but you may. You don't have to love him, but you may. And so that's our opportunity this morning. We we don't have to worship him, but, but you may. You're not obligated, but you may. I think he would be really honored if today if you hear his voice that you'd respond back to him with worship. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Because he's a God of grace and kindness and compassion and mercy.